Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AirPod, the weekly check-in for all the latest royal news, coming to you from the heart of London with myself, Omid Scobie, and the wonderful Maggie Rooley. How are you doing? Hello, Omid. So good to get to catch up with you. And it's, it's sunny today in London. This is like a rare treat the past few weeks. I know, we've been lucky. In fact, we had a sunny day together at Kensington Palace for pretty much the entire yesterday for one of the biggest royal events of the year, the unveiling of the Princess Diana statue on what would have been her 60th birthday, featuring, of course, Princes William and Harry, who were together for the second time in over a year. It was quite the moment. Many things to talk about. We will have all of that coming up later in the show. But before that, I feel like there's some royal news to get through this week. <laughs> there's always some royal news. This week, I did feel like, though, maybe it's the, it's middle of summer here. There was a little bit of sunshine. It did sort of feel like uh, the royals were out and about around London, around all of the UK, well, actually. Exactly. Royals from every generation, every age group, including Prince George. A football mad <laughs> Prince George. Or should I be saying soccer? I mean, wait, Maggie, when you guys talk about the Euro, the, the Euro tournament, for example, or one of the bigger soccer events, do you guys call it soccer or football? Like, do you ever switch over or is it always just soccer? I, I would even take it back one step further and say the biggest challenge I'm having over here is I, I keep, I, I tried so hard to learn what like Premier League and Championship League was, and I finally understood that. And then this, <laughs> and then this like Euro Cup sprouted out, and I asked the office, I was like, but what are they doing now? What is this? And they're like, it's the Euro Cup, Maggie. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand all these people that are playing, and I'm trying so hard, Omid. So that's just where I'm at. I don't even know what to call it. I don't even know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's extra confusing now because, of course, we are no longer part of the European Union, oh, but we are true. very much involved in a, a massive sporting event. I'd say that one of the biggest sporting events uh, that yeah. take place, it's certainly this well, year. It's I did watch the game. You would be proud. I saw the, the second goal, England's victory, and I my favourite part, as, as you've already mentioned, was little Prince George cheering them on. That was like the, the cutest thing from the whole day. Exactly. Well, yeah, George was grinning ear to ear for the entire tournament, not just because he was there with his parents, William and Kate, but also because he was there to watch England win 2-0 against Germany. Um, A rare event for for England. Um, It was our first time, I think, beating Germany in 55 years. Um, And what was so fun about this was not only seeing George out and about, because we don't often get to see the kids out it's usually sort of shared photos from Mm -hmm. first days of school or for birthdays often photos taken by the duchess of cambridge um but not only did we get to see how much george enjoyed it we got to see the reaction afterwards pretty much the entire country now thinks of george as a good luck mascot for the england sports team so (laughs) i didn't even think of that you think they're gonna have them have to go to every game now just to make sure that they still win yeah, exactly. Or maybe sort of put up a, a photo of George somewhere in the sort of uh, in the in the a team George conference rooms or something. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. Um, but yes, not only did we see George this week, we saw the Cambridges together, mm. the Duchess of Cambridge today at the Wimbledon tennis tournament. So a lot of sports going on for them. We'd kind of been waiting all week to see when the Duchess may appear at Wimbledon. And today was a visit with a slight difference because not only did she go to the open courts to watch Andy Murray play, but she also visited the kitchens at Wimbledon, which is the last place I would imagine she'd want to go. However, for the last year, the kitchens at Wimbledon here in London have been used to create or make food and distribute food to people and vulnerable individuals across the community in that part of London during the pandemic. So it's sort of been repurposed for that. But today they were making food for guests at the tournament and Kate joined in in the kitchen cutting up strawberries or hulling strawberries should I say which is something I can never be bothered to do to be honest like eat, <laughs> eat the whole thing you just but eat stra- them yeah but strawberries and cream are very much a big part of Wimbledon it is the snack that you get while you're there um have worse. you been to Wimbledon yet No, I still haven't. I tried to buy tickets this year and missed the sale miserably. I'm still hoping maybe we'll we'll cover it at some point for for ABC so I can can get get my fix that way. But for now, I've been watching it on on television. And I've been getting lots of uh, tweets on Twitter today. Of course, they're on Twitter. But I've been getting lots (laughs) of messages from people asking me why was Kate wearing a mask at some points and not uh, others and Wimbledon this year like a number of events that have taken place in the country is a test event so everyone there has to have shown their COVID passports or their sort of pass to show that they've had both of their vaccinations done or to have done a negative COVID test I think within 48 hours of visiting and have proof of those results so Once you're within the grounds of Wimbledon, you wear a mask while you walk around. But once you're seated, the mask can come off. So it's a slight slight change. Um, But it gives, I guess, gives the opportunity for people to actually watch these games in person. Because I feel like going to Wimbledon is such a great experience. I hope you can get a ticket at some point before it's over. If anyone has tickets, I'll accept them. (laughs) You know, it's funny you mentioned that, though. I was happy that, uh, or I'm happy that Kate sort of made a nod to essential workers and people helping out during the pandemic, because especially this week with all the sporting events, it's been so fun to have that back in the UK. But, you know, the pandemic very much still is going on, and there still are various levels of lockdown even here in the Mm. UK. So, you know, it's it's kind of a weird balance to strike right now, and I'm sure as a royal it's difficult because you want to go to these engagements and so your support for the athletes and the people there. But that was a clever way to do it, to also make a nod to all of the work that essential workers have been doing and volunteers have been doing and are still doing throughout the country. Yeah, I think sometimes these... Uh, depending on the timing and an engagement like that could look a little mm. frivolous. So to bring a bit mm. of de- depth to it, I think, yeah, is important. Yeah, good point. Um, someone who brought depth to an entire visit was the Queen, who's not only outside of her COVID bubble in Windsor, uh, she was all the way in Scotland for the past yeah. week or for at least four or five days of it for Royal Week or Holyrood Week, which is the uh, week that takes place each summer in Scotland where she goes there to celebrate the culture, achievement and communities or work being done in communities in the country there. And it's a trip that she takes every year. Obviously, it didn't happen last year because of the pandemic. Uh, But she did go this year with members of the family. So it wasn't just her by herself, as usually 
happens. We sort of see her now supported always by someone as she carries out engagements. So the first two days were with Prince William, the second two days were with Princess Anne. And during Holyrood Week, the Queen takes up residence at the Palace of Holyrood House, which is her official residence in Scotland. And it starts at the end of Edinburgh's Royal Mile. So you would have been, in fact, you may have even crossed paths, Maggie, <laughs> during your, during <laughs> you your know, trip to Edinburgh. You know, we almost did. <laughs> I was there uh, just before she got there, but I saw Hollywood for the first Hollywood for the first time. It is absolutely beautiful there. And what was extra special was that it had been raining, as we've talked about the weather already a few times on this podcast. But um, when the Queen was there, the sun came out and was shining for a few days. So I did feel like it was a welcome to, to Hollywood week. Well, and you were in Edinburgh for a very special reason, weren't you? Yes, we were. This was so fun, Omid. And, you know, it was part of the ABC family as well. You guys uh, may know Alistair Bruce. He's uh, one of our royalty consultants here at ABC. And he is the governor of Edinburgh Castle. And he became governor about a year and a half, two years ago. But his ceremony had been delayed because of all the lockdowns and COVID. So last week, it was really special. They had the big ceremony of the key. And he got the official key to the castle. And Omid, I have to say... um, I do recommend people go watch our GMA piece because it is so fun and entertaining and beautiful to see the castle. It's really such a special place. And they still have all the pomp and circumstance of uh, the ceremonies and of the transfer of power. And my favorite part is in, in the middle of this piece when... Alistair is um, walking to get the official key and a soldier at the castle pops up over the guard wall and yells, halt, who goes there? And just like they would have in old times, (laughs) like, who is this person in our castle? And then the man leading Alistair yells out, you know, it is uh, Master General Alistair Bruce here for the key to the castle. And they all yell, God save the queen. And they're allowed to enter. And it just reminds you of the history, right? You know, a castle is sat up there on top of Edinburgh Fort. For like nearly a thousand years, and so just the history is mind-boggling. And then to know, you know, only a handful of days after the ceremony, the Queen was up there visiting and spending time at, you know, with um, people in Scotland and at Holyrood. I mean, it just intertwines history with present day, and it was, it's really incredible and fascinating. So so cool to be a part of it, and then to know the Queen was there um, right after us was really special. Yeah, well, just after he was installed as governor of Edinburgh Castle, um, in a slight, I guess, adaptation of the traditional ceremony due to the current uh, pandemic, uh, we did see Alistair behind the Queen at the Ceremony of the Keys that takes place at Holyrood Palace in Edinburgh. Uh, And during that ceremony, you could see just a small moment where there was some eye contact between the two and a, and a little smile, which I thought was very sweet. It was, it was blink and you miss Aww. it, but, but great. And obviously a great, a great week for Alistair. So Alistair, if you're listening, congratulations once again. Yes, We're all major congrats. Very proud of you. Of course, the Queen's outing to Scotland was one of her sort of final engagements before members of the royal family begin to wind down their duties for the summer break. Obviously, we're coming very close to August now, and August is typically a month where very little happens. But quietly behind the scenes at Buckingham Palace, plans are still taking place or in the works for next year's Jubilee. And organisers shared new details of this, the Platinum Jubilee, for a street pageant that will be taking place in London that they call a sensory explosion of colour, carnival, (laughs) music, theatre and pageantry. Um, It's basically, it's almost like a... 
what would I call it? Like a Thanksgiving Day parade. Uh, <laughs> That's but a this, good analogy, yeah. It, it includes a giant puppet dragon, misbehaving corgis. I don't know quite how that will be represented. But then trapeze artists, giant uh, helium and inflatable balloons across the street. It's going to be a very big celebration. And I think as we'll see, especially when royals go back to work after the summer break, a lot more to do with the Queen's Jubilee um, being shared by the palace and how members of the royal family are going to be involved in that too. Well, what I was so excited about is hearing the announcements about what the Jubilee would be like. I haven't um, been in England for a, a, a Jubilee and I don't think I quite realized as an outsider just what a big deal these Jubilees are. And so when I was listening to organizers make these announcements about what it was going to be like, you're spot on. It is like, it's like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, but... Um, 10 times bigger and, <laughs> um, you know, more exciting and a reminder that everyone in the country gets two bank holidays off, which is also incredible. And so this is trying to be like a countrywide celebration. And the organizers must have used the word um, fun about 17 million times as they described it. <laughs> so it definitely is like, and they, they want this to be an exciting thing and also referencing, you know, this is a chance to sort of celebrate hopefully being done with the pandemic as well so it should be really exciting yeah i noticed that they're calling it something of a reopening ceremony for the uk obviously following a period of uncertainty and difficulties it feels like a while away for that to be a reopening ceremony but it makes sense you know we are very low on tourism here at the moment so mm -hmm. i think next summer is a chance to perhaps make up for that mm, good point and somewhat of a rare appearance here in the UK was Prince Harry, who has, of course, flown in or had flown in for the unveiling of the Princess Diana statue and spent his required five days in quarantine at Frogmore Cottage at Windsor. But just the day before the statue unveiling, he managed to sneak out and make a very surprise appearance at the Wellchild Awards in London. This is an annual awards that takes place that sort of acknowledges the hardships and the achievements of sick and vulnerable children and the carers and family that help look after them. And it's one of Harry's favourite events in his calendar, something that he really looks forward to. He's been patron of the Wellchild um, well organisation since 2007. And I've been lucky enough to go to a number of Wellchild Awards alongside Harry and more recently Harry and Meghan. It was one of their again, one of their favourite events that they had attended together. And this year it took place outside at Kew Gardens in London, a lot more pared back than usual. It all took place outside, so everyone was very safe and everyone was tested or vaccinated um, before attending. Um, but for Harry, this had all been organised to accommodate this very short window that he had in the UK, because this usually takes place in the fall, so they moved everything forward wow. uh, so he could make this. And it was such a treat for the children who were there because I think a lot of them didn't know that he was coming. And I think for many, that's the highlight of going to the Wellchild Awards is spending some time with Harry because he truly makes time to meet every single child 
in attendance. Um, but it was also a chance for us to learn a little bit more about Lily, because not only was uh, Harry was not the only uh, well-known face there. Ed Sheeran, one another well-child patron, was also in attendance. And uh, reporting that came out, this was a private event, but some details did come out um, of the two of them talking about becoming fathers. Harry, of course, for the second time. Uh, Ed Sheeran said, congratulations. Of course, he himself had had a little girl 10 months ago. And Harry said, two is definitely a juggle. Um, He said, we've been very, very lucky so far. Lily's very chilled and seems happy to just sit there while Archie is running around like crazy. (laughs) Sounds like everyone that just had a second child, actually. That's probably a very vulnerable and normal response. (laughs) Um, And we will be catching up with the rest of Harry's time in London after the break. Of course, that big statue unveiling that took place Mm -hmm. yesterday that you and I were there for. So much to unpack, so much to talk about. We'll be right back after this message. Welcome back. Well, it was almost five years ago that Harry and William got together to commission a special statue to remember the life of their mother, Princess Diana. And now... Four and a half, five years later, the brothers were reunited to have this very special moment to unveil that statue for the world. There have been delays, uh, some of them pandemic related, some down to the fact that they just wanted to get everything just so. And we had this very special moment between the two brothers on July 1st at Kensington Palace in the redesigned sunken gardens. I think, Maggie, it's fair to say that the build-up to this had been quite a lot. I mean, we've been talking about this for a while. You know, you can't ignore the fact that there had been obvious reported tensions between the brothers in more recent years. This has been a project that has been surrounded by other conversations. And we finally got to the moment that it was all shared with the world. Yeah, you know, I think we talked about this a bit yesterday. We were standing there uh, waiting for the reveal. And it was um, it, it was a very poignant moment because you're right. We have been talking about this for so long. I mean, I remember when, we, when uh, Harry and Meghan sort of made that big decision to no longer be working members of the royal family and move to America. And one of the things we kept saying is that, well... Harry's going to be back in the UK with his brother to unveil the statue. What's that going to be like? And so all of a sudden, you know, having been talking about that for almost a year to have the moment, uh, it, it, it was interesting. I mean, I think the, the, what we took away from it, all of us standing out there outside the event, was that in the moment you realize that it was about so much more than whatever uh, current disagreements there are or continue to be. It really was about Princess Diana and their shared love for their mother. And uh, for me, that was a good moment because I think for the most part, everyone sort of put everything aside and at least attempted to have um, this event and, and, and this moment where the family could really uh, share in their grief and share in their love for this woman. And I, for the most part, I don't know if you disagree or not, but I felt like that really was the focus of the event and even of sort of the media coverage uh, from outside the event. And so that, that, that was really hopeful, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, the, the statue itself, I think, what really surprised me with how, was how little information about it had leaked mm. or was known yeah, beforehand. Yeah. Of course, we knew the sculptor, Ian Rank Broadley, was the man that had been chosen back in 2017 to carry out this big task. Um, a, a quite a daunting task, I'd imagine, but obviously not his first. He's responsible for the Queen's face on the current coins that we use for those that are still carrying 
coins. Um, but it, yeah, I, I think so much was, I guess, pressure was on this moment to get things just right. And I think people had such high expectations for this statue that the brothers had been very involved in. You know, I heard from sources that sort of back in the earlier stages, they really wanted everything to be just so. So a lot of thought went into what she'd be wearing in the sculpture, how her face would look, making sure that everything was was just right. And I think both brothers had made certain comments about things they wanted to change when they saw the sketches coming in along the way. And so what we saw yesterday was really a depiction of how they wanted their mum to be remembered. And, you know, I think as as we were talking yes, talking about yesterday, we had heard the brothers share in words thoughts on their mother's life, her legacy, the things that they missed about her as a mother, how she was, you know, what they, were, what they wanted to celebrate about her life as a Princess of Wales. But we'd never really seen sort of physically how that remembrance would also look as well. And yesterday was our first opportunity to see that. And for me, it was actually, I was quite surprised at what I saw because I, I think all along I imagined her to be by herself in some way. And so for this huge sculpture that featured three children, um, according to a statement that to represent the universality and generational impact of her work. And when it was unveiled, it was not only impressive, but I think the sheer size of it made it so much more than I was expecting. Well, you know, it's interesting too, and I hadn't fully thought of this until you mentioned Harry's involvement with the Well Child Awards and how important that is for him and the fact that he made that something that he was determined to to attend while he was here in the UK. But, you know, the fact that, as you just said, this was what uh, Harry and William commissioned how they want their mother to be remembered, right? And the fact that they chose children and children of the world, it kind of all ties together. I mean, Harry is still doing that work today. And so to have both Prince Harry and Prince William in the work that they do continuing on their mother's legacy, and then also to see how important it is that they put it in her statue, I mean, it really drives home the point that, you know, her legacy is still being felt not only in the people here and around the world, but also through her sons and through the work that they're carrying on. Absolutely. And, you know, I think being at Kensington Palace yesterday, seeing the amount of people who had gathered there to witness a moment that they couldn't Mm. actually witness, they just wanted to be there, I think was such a, a sign of how widespread the support and love for her life still is. I think people really remember Diana for for a number of reasons, but when you kind of whittle it down, it's it's Diana as a mother, Diana as a philanthropist, and Diana as a, as a strong woman who wasn't afraid to sort of go against the grain at, at, at times or within an institution that going against the grain is not allowed. And so she stands for so much, and I think you see that and hear that when you talk to the people that especially yesterday, who were there to to just be a part of that kind of celebration of her life. Uh, I think what was really interesting was that despite all of the talk about, you know, giving separate speeches at this unveiling, in the end, we had a very simple statement from the brothers as a pair from Kensington Palace. Yeah, I I have it here. I want to read it, Omid, because I thought it was very special. It came from both of them. And the statement begins... 
Today, on what would have been our mother's 60th birthday, we remember her love, strength, and character, qualities that made her a force for good around the world, changing countless lives for the better. They continue on to say every day, we wish she were still with us, and our hope is that this statue will be seen forever as a symbol of her life and her legacy. I thought that ending, too, was very personal. And, you know, it always goes back to having such a... um, a public figure as your mother and being a public figure yourself, I think people can forget that it's a family and these are her sons. And uh, what also struck me yesterday was what a family event this was. You just mentioned there were no big speeches. There was no kind of royal fanfare. It really was a small event and they didn't even put the feet out live. So we watched it afterwards once the event had happened and the footage came out and you saw the fact that it really was just kind of a family gathering. I think they talked for about 20 minutes, unveiled the statue, all talked some more. And you must imagine like this is what a regular family would do if they were grieving someone who they had lost. They make it together on, you know, what would have been someone's birthday and share stories and and remembrances. And that kind of felt like what was happening. And in, in a way, the fact that it was scaled down made it that much more intimate. Yeah, because originally this was going to be a 100 guest affair, a reception at Kensington Palace that was going to include uh, charities and organisations or individuals that had worked very closely with Diana on the incredible things she achieved throughout her very short life. And of course, the brothers are very much involved in what that guest list would look like and how the evening would take shape and how the statue unveiling would play a part in that. And of course, due to the pandemic and the current restrictions, especially when, you know, there's very little space to to sort of pitch up a huge tent or anything at Kensington Palace and still have that be COVID safe, it made sense that it was stripped back to what ended up, as you say, very much a family event. And not just a royal family event, but actually a Spencer family event, because it was William Harry the Spencer siblings, and then just a few of Diana's close friends or individuals who were involved in the statue itself. So we had uh, not only uh, Ian Rank Broadley, the sculptor there, but also the garden designers, so Pitt Morrison and Graham Dillamore, who's the deputy head of gardens and estates at historic royal palaces. And as we had seen just the night before, they had been involved in sort of redesigning the whole sunken garden at Kensington Palace to be, I guess, more fitting for for, for somewhere for a sculptor a sculpture to sit. Because before it was had lots of kind of very narrow flower beds and sort of paved walkways, and it wasn't uh, the most simple of spaces. And so they've really kind of simplified it they brought in lawn and a sort of very color schemed group of plants of 4,000 plants but all very much in that sort of pastel color scheme to complement the bronze sculpture that was there so you had of course these individuals who are involved in it but it was mostly people that were a major part of Diana's life and I think that's what made it much more special and you could see when they were all together, why there wouldn't have been formal speeches. In fact, it was very much just sort of like meeting your aunts and your uncle. You know, it was lots of kind of hugs and chit-chat. And I think everyone there was just very excited um, to be able to have this special moment to remember Diana's life. And 
although the unveiling did take place during the time they were together, I think 20 minutes or so was just everyone catching up. Uh, they had met briefly inside, then they came outside for 20 minutes, and then the unveiling happened, which was William and Harry together, side by side, pulling the sheet off the sculpture, which I can't even imagine how powerful and maybe even overwhelming that moment must have been for them, especially in front of the cameras. I could imagine that something like that would be very emotional, but of course you are being watched. And even though it was a private event, it, it must have been sort of a, almost a difficult challenge, I guess, to you want to react, but at the same time, you know, people are watching. Um, and then after that, sculpt, the sculpture was revealed. They had another 20 minutes together before they all went inside and spent more time together. Uh, not a huge amount of time, but there were there were some other guests and friends that were there that weren't part of the unveiling or out on the lawn during the unveiling who were just there for support. So a very special day. And I think what was so great about it is that despite the huge amount of talk about the brothers' relationship leading up to that point, in the moment itself, it really didn't feel like it was about that at all. Mm -hmm. It sort of went out the window for a moment. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I was very hopeful that that sort of, uh, the, the, the tone that was set. And, you know, I'm curious, this is, you know, I think it's no secret that um, it's been very public rift and, and, and strain on the, the relationship in the family. But it did sort of feel like, uh, I think there was a couple articles written that it was almost uh, it, it, as if it was a little flashback in time and that it felt as if you kind of remember what things used to be like between them. And so that, that, that's kind of a hopeful moment. Yeah, I think it's impossible. I think no matter how you feel about someone or how strained a relationship might be, it's impossible to still live in that when you're sharing such a special moment that was remembering the life of them, their mother. And so those smiles that we saw on their faces were obviously very genuine. And I'm sure there was a huge amount of warmth between the brothers in that moment, simply by the act of what they were doing. Now, does that mean that there were conversations and peace talks taking place on this trip, like some of the tabloids are reporting? Absolutely not. You know, that distance that was there with the brothers uh, before the trip remains there as, you know, Harry heads back to the US and, and William gets on with his life over here. But I think I said this during the coverage of Prince Philip's funeral for ABC News, was that moment that we saw the brothers together was just like the ice breaker that had not happened for over a year and I think what we saw yesterday was perhaps just like one tiny step forward and you know time is always a healer and I think that there's clearly things that need to be discussed between the brothers but I think time and a place is always the right something you've got to bear in mind too yesterday was was not that and neither is Harry currently living here or spending a huge amount of time here either. He's got a, a family, a, a growing family to care for in the US. So he didn't stick around for particularly long. Um, but I think just to share that moment together is something that they'll never forget. Yeah, it's nice to have a little bit of a, a hopeful ending to this week, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Look, we're almost at the end of the royal calendar for this year until the sort of official royal summer break. 
when you think of the amount of things that have taken place over the past year i mean we've had royals navigating a pandemic and at times leading a country through the pandemic particularly with the queen that took us into those first lockdowns we saw the cambridges really take on their own roles as a couple that were really championing frontline workers we saw the royals sort of I guess, rebrand themselves via Zoom in a way. We got sort of this insight into their private worlds in a way that we hadn't before. The public were able to watch those engagements up close without, I guess, reporters being the sort of conduit in in the middle, sharing that information. People actually got to see in for themselves. So it's been a really impactful year, I think, when it comes to the work that the royals have done. And of course, alongside that had been Harry and Meghan finally having that chance to speak so openly about their experiences as working members of the royal family. So much mm. has happened in the past year. And I think every, everyone definitely deserves a, a, a slight break at this point, don't you think? <laughs> That's a good way to put it, Omid. I, I, I like thinking that way. I think maybe the I hope people in the U.S. can get on the European vacation cycle this year. I think we all need it. <laughs> and there's that meme that everyone referenced where, you know, what is it, the, the European out-of-office email, and it's like, gone camping. Um, all emails will be deleted. Send again in September. <laughs> and, then in the, and I have to say, I'm on board with it. I think we all need a little uh, rejuvenation time this year. Absolutely. Well, it's funny you mention that because this episode is actually going to be our last episode for a little while. We're taking a break for the summer, a chance to just catch our breath after the busy royal schedule of the past year or so. Um, But also a little chance for the show itself to have a slight nip and tuck uh, coming back fresh in the fall with something a little different. So if you guys have thoughts, suggestions or feedback or anything that you would like to see more of or hear more of on the airport, uh, do reach out to myself or Maggie on Twitter. Use the hashtag. Don't use the hashtag. We'll see it either way, I guess. Um, and, And let us know your thoughts. I know. We'll miss you all terribly, but I hope people are off enjoying whatever neck of the woods they're in, whether it's sunshine or rain, um, enjoying some of this summer weather. And we're excited to be back with everyone in the fall. Absolutely. And of course, you can keep up, as always, with all the latest royal news on ABC News and Good Morning America. And I would say a lot more on, on the social platforms as well. If you guys caught Maggie and I, we did some, some live, some live Q&As from Kensington Palace yesterday, which was quite fun. So maybe we'll have to squeeze in a few more of those over the months ahead. Um, But as Maggie says, look after yourselves, take care, take a little break, focus on your well-being. We will be back with you in the fall with something a little new. Take care, look after each other, and we'll see you soon. Bye.